Hi, I'm Lex Marinos, and... Hello, I'm Patricia Ramflett. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week we chat with leading health, lifestyle, finance and fitness experts about how to get the most out of life as we age. Plus we talk with well-known and not-so-well-known Australians of all generations about the issues that affect them. So tune in and... Get connected. connected. Stay connected. Ah, hi Lex, how are you? Very well, thanks Patricia. Yourself? I'm very well too. And do you know, I was thinking, have you ever considered being a grey nomad or a salt and pepper nomad, which is really what you are? Well. Sounds a bit exciting, I think. Well, it does. It's probably too exciting for me. I'm I'm more a beige nomad and and I occasionally see grey nomads on the road and I think, oh, geez, Uh, they're... I'm not going to mess with them. I think they're to be envied. I think they're doing something terrific with the later part of their lives. And uh, yes, I do envy them at times. So Chris Ashton's from the NRMA and he'll tell us all about it, all the tips, pitfalls, etc., and how to have to be a happy, successful grey nomad. Um, so that's something, another thing we can look forward to. Patricia, I've been doing a little bit of travelling lately and I have been staying in caravan mm-hmm. parks and parks around, you know, West Australia, Northern Territory, around Australia. And by gee, uh, don't the grey nomads, don't they come alive at night time around the campfire? Whoa! Do you know who we'll be talking about? One day perhaps being a grey nomad, very young Eloise, middle-aged David, maybe Lucille, lovely Lucille might Where already will they be? be. Where will they be? Well, they'll be in Jeff's Cafe, enjoying the ambience. Jeff's Cafe? Yeah. They've got new tablecloths in Jeff's Cafe. Let's get to our nostalgia town. Oh, yeah, I know. This is a favourite of yours and of everyone's. Well, baby boomers, look out. If I said love is in the air, what would you think of? Who would you think of, apart from me? I would think of you, and then I would think of JPY, John Paul Young. Yes, John Paul Young. I was about to record that song and he recorded it just before me. He didn't. Yeah, no, it's true. Yes, he did. He pinched it. He gazumped you. He gazumped me. (laughs) He gazumped you. (laughs) But if it had been anyone else, I would have been really angry. But he's such a lovely bloke that I didn't mind. He's a lovely bloke. Now, yes. the cost of living, by gee, has that been something we've spoken about, bemoaned, really not very happy about our cost of living. But today, Liam Kennedy from Choice will uh, talk about the cost of living and and perhaps help us how we could deal with it better. And who's in Stepping Out? We're going underground for Stepping Out. Mm. We're going to Cooper Pedy in South Australia, mm. where Penny Gale will regale us. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper Pedy. What a fascinating place. And uh, she'll give us some great word pictures of it, I hope. That's all to look forward to on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. Indeed it is. Welcome to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. As you can say that COVID, lockdown, you can tell that we're just a little bit on the edge these days, but still enjoying what we do and we're thrilled that you are our guest today. And you're going to be talking about grey nomads and I'm speaking with Chris Ashton, who's been with NRMA's Open Road magazine for 14 years. Currently, he is acting editor 
and travel writer for the widely read and respected publication which celebrated its 100th year anniversary in 2021. Chris is a keen observer of Australians' domestic travel habits and is here to tell us about a special group of intrepid travellers. Oh, and I wish I was one of them. The Grey Nomads. We're just thinking, uh, Chris, before you came on, Lex and I are thinking maybe our budget could stretch to a, a lovely big camper van that had Baby Boomer's Guide on the side uh, on the side of it, and we could join the other grey nomads. Oh, what fun. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Tell us about yourself, how you came to be in this role or connected with the Open Road magazine. Well, back in uh, 2008, I was uh, the editor of Blockbuster's in-house magazine, uh, back when you could actually have a magazine about Blockbuster and about DVDs. But I saw the writing on the wall even back then and I thought to myself, what would be, you know, what would I like to write about next? What's the sort of next chapter in my career? And I thought, oh, maybe travel writing would be good. And uh, just almost immediately after that, I saw an ad uh, for a job of deputy editor on Open Road magazine um, and it was almost fate. And, yeah, that was 14 years ago, so it's a good job. And, Chris, you have a, a special interest in grain nomads. God knows why. But... <laughs> What is a grey nomad? Grey nomads, aren't they a bikey gang? (laughs) (laughs) They'd like to be. (laughs) Yeah, funnily enough, I mean, it's interesting. um, Some of them, I think, don't like the term, actually, which is is funny. Uh, You know, I think there's a – they sort of – it's developed a little bit of a stigma over the years, but – uh, grey nomads are definitely a thing and they make up a large portion of Open Road's readership. Um, mm. You know, it's uh, it's either people who, who actually get out there and do it or who like to read about people, you know, getting out there and doing it. Do we know how many there are roaming around the country oh. at any time? I mean, thousands I, of I know them. there are thousands. Yeah. Thousands of them roaming the country. Yeah. But uh, has anyone counted them? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's something in the range of sort of between ten and thirty thousand at any given time uh, during yeah. the year. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. COVID put a bit of a crimp in that. But I think you know, just from what I've seen on the road on my trips this year, I, I think everyone's sort of getting back out there. Mm. Um, you know, still see a lot of caravans and motorhomes on the, on mm. the highways. Gee, well, when we get ours up and running, look out. What are the most popular <laughs> destinations and and. And uh, routes for the great nomads, where do they go? I think that they, they like to go remote, a lot of them. You know, I think it's sort of the big adventure, particularly post-retirement. Um, you know, so uh, whereas younger people sort of tend to stick to the coast and, and that sort of thing, it's it's the uh, the older road trippers who will maybe do the big lap of Australia or they might do, um, you know, they'll head out to sort of Lake Air or uh, do the Nullarbor Plain. Um, you know, some of the more adventurous ones might head up to Cape York, you know, if they're, mm. um, you know, if they're adventurous enough and they know how to do their off-roading, uh, some of them might even go that remote. But you'll also find a lot of them just enjoy the small town, uh, you know, they, they'll drive into a small town and, and set up camp for a few days and, uh, you know, and, and they're mm. the ones that, um, you know, sort of keep those little towns alive. As a professional performer, I've had the joy many times of uh, going to, I don't know, for want of a better word, their expos or their 
you know, powwows uh, meeting in big showgrounds of country towns and uh, there could be 1,500, 2,000 of them all up and lined up camper vans, beautiful oh, vehicles wow. that they... And, of course, normally there's a dog chained up outside or roaming around. The happiest occasions I've had as watching the grey nomads have the happiest of times. Uh, this is quite, as you said, it's very common. Um, it's a thrill for them and it's a thrill to, to see them having such a good time. What access do they have to you and do you, uh, as the open road people connected with NRMA, do you, are you called on very often? Uh, the NRMA, definitely roadside assistance, I would imagine, would be a, mm. a big part, you know, particularly in those remote areas. Um, you know, you just, you just never know. And the NRMA has uh, country service centres across sort of most of New South Wales. So usually if you, you know, if you call the NRMA, particularly in a remote area, it'll be um, a local who just runs the, you know, the local towing service or a local mechanic. Mm. And he'll also be the uh, patrolman that comes out and lends a hand. On a serious note, um, uh, rarely on a rare serious note, oh. to get the great, <laughs> the most out of the, the maximise the experience of being a grey nomad, what needs to be considered before you set out? You know, costs, budget, planning, all that. Health. Medical yeah. health. You know, what, what do you need to take care of? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say, first of all, just knowing what you're getting yourself into, particularly if you're cu- uh, towing a big caravan, um, you know, people think it's just a bit like towing a box trailer or whatever, but it, it's actually a, a completely different experience. Um I was uh, driving through country Victoria a few years ago uh, and we were travelling behind uh, a family towing a caravan and it started to develop what's called trailer sway, which is if you sort of turn too quickly in one direction, it upsets the momentum. Mm. Uh, And it tipped over in front of us and it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Um, So I think, you know, just making sure that you understand there are training courses that you can do uh, to make sure that you know how to tow a a caravan Um, and also just uh, getting... Uh, proficient at, at things like reversing it into places, that sort of thing. That way you're, relieved, you're, you're making sure there's no stress once you actually hit the road. So I think that would be first and foremost. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is if you are planning to travel uh, to more remote areas, just be aware that things such as, you know, if you've got a, a fancier European car, you might not be able to get a replacement tyre in a country town for mm. it. Um, as you alluded to earlier, if you, you know, if you have health issues, it could be literally hours uh, to the next hospital. Um, and even something, you know, it's sort of a, a 20, uh, 21st century problem, but even you'd be surprised how poor phone reception can be once you get outside ah. the big towns. Um, yeah. And particularly internet, you know, we all rely on our phones for internet now, but, you know, 10 minutes out of Broken Hill and you probably won't have any. Um, mm. So they're probably the things to be aware of. Would I be correct in saying that once you're on the road and you've stopped at a few places and possibly uh, run into or or met up with people that you met up with at the last destination or two, a network sets itself up and lots of helpful information is given to each other? Is That that must be wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a real community Uh, and, you know, you'll you'll see particularly motorhomes will have, uh, you know, UHF with a particular number and their names on the back so you know it's Ah. going in front of you and you can sort of radio each other. Ah. Um, 
yeah, but absolutely, you, you know, uh, because they, they tend to congregate in, in, in camping areas or, you know, in particular areas in particular towns. Mm. So, yeah, I think absolutely, you you know, uh, the grey nomads, a lot of them probably know each other and, and definitely see it as a real uh, mm. fun social experience. Do you aim to... Uh do some grey nomading later on? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, uh, with Open Road, we, we sort of live the uh, the grey nomad lifestyle to a certain extent. Um, we, we, we don't usually take a caravan, but we spend a lot of time in, in holiday parks and in small towns and, uh, you know, and even remote areas. Uh, mm. And, it, oh, it's a fantastic lifestyle, you know, particularly mm. I think uh, for retirees, you know, it's... Um, it, it, you know, you, you're retired, but you're, you're sort of almost living better than you were before your retirement. Um, mm. And it's a. I was thinking about it last night. It's a. It's a. It was a real generational shift because I remember my grandfather's generation. You know, they took a. There was a real pride. A lot of people they took in. I, you know, I spent my life working, and now I'm going to sit at home and do as little as possible, or maybe go down the bowling club. And I think the sort of post-war, that first post-war generation, changed all that, and they said no. You know, we've worked hard to build this nest egg. We're going to go and experience life. And I think that's probably what's at mm. the core of the, the grey nomad culture. Oh, speaking of the grey nomad culture, Chris, I've, I've heard really disturbing reports of, <laughs> of grey nomads going feral, going rogue, <laughs> setting up communes in the middle of the desert, you know, involving all kinds of pagan rites, you know, sac- sacrificing a virgin if they can find one, <laughs> trading in that. Trading in, in anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the stories I've heard are hair-raising. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a bottle of Shiraz works wonders. <laughs> oh, it sounds great. I mean, oh, no. Oh, what a life. <laughs> Especially uh, if you drop a couple of aspirin into it. Oh, God, <laughs> Uh, you didn't think we were going to be this silly, did you, Chris? <laughs> uh, I so, want to be a grey nomad. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, it's just I've witnessed that life. I've almost... Oh, Patricia, w- please. And, look, Lex and I, I'm sure, Lex, I can speak on behalf of... When we began our careers way back last century <laughs> um, in 1960s, we did sort of a similar thing. This was before hotels and fancy motels. Um, some of us, we didn't, but I, I remember running into Slim Dusty and his little caravan of caravans. Oh, Slim was a grey nomad. That's right. He had, that's how they travelled and toured in, in caravans. And when we'd stop and meet up with them, we'd always stop on the side of the road and make cups of tea, etc. And there was always some homemade cake. I don't know where that came from. Probably fans oh, would give yeah. us homemade cake. But they would envy us because we had the luxury of staying in a motel the night before, but we'd be envying them for their carefree, wonderful lifestyle. Uh, it's, I just wonder what the initiation ceremonies are like <laughs> to become a grey nomad. That's, that's the thing. Well, that it's would, the anti-inflammatory drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have heard if, you, if you're trying to park your caravan and you're not doing a very good job of it, you won't be short on help. Everyone will come and give you plenty of advice. Yeah. 
Everyone's going to continue how I'd do it better. Oh, yeah. And before, and before you know it, because you'll be famous all over Australia for your non-parking ability, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, such fun. Yeah. But, but listen, seriously, they do have fun, don't they, Chris? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, there, there's a good reason that they'll, they'll go out for, for weeks or even months at a time. Um, it's, it's a fantastic lifestyle. It's... Um, it, it's freedom. It's, you know, you're, you're learning about the history of Australia as you're going around. You're, you're making new friends. You're, um, you know, seeing parts of Australia that people never see in their entire lives oftentimes. Um, and what a perfect country to do that in because Australia is mm. so diverse. It can be really cold, really hot, wet, dry. In different states, I can notice all the different accents that we yeah, have in yeah, Australia, yeah. but it's so different, you know, it's so lovely. Yeah, Chris, on, right. on, a, on a serious note again, um, is, it, is it wise to notify places in advance that there's, you know, 20 or 30 people coming through just to make sure they can be accommodated, that the, the you know, especially in remote areas, there's not a lot of mm. services, there's not a lot of supplies. Do you need mm. to you know, notify people in advance that, you know, we're going to be in your town in, you know, next week sometime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, a lot of the more remote towns too, there might only be a few people who are running, uh, you know, the sort of tourism side of things out there. Um, and they, they'll often have second jobs as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very good idea to get in touch a, ahead of time and say, yeah, look, this is how many people we have in, in our group. Uh, here's what we need, you know, can, uh, what, what can you organise for mm. us? Because, yeah, the last thing you want to do is turn up, uh, you know, sort of 700 kilometres out of Sydney and, and there's no one there ready to meet you or, you know, um, the, you don't have the facilities you need. So absolutely, yeah, planning ahead mm. is just crucial for that sort of uh, lifestyle. And generally, is it, is it a good welcoming when, when they arrive in town as the, mm. if the town is prepared? Definitely, yeah. Look, um, every cliche you've heard about country towns is true, and, and particularly in the outback, uh, you know, you'll get you'll get talking with one of the locals, and you'll be standing there for half an hour probably, uh, and, and have to drag yourself away. Um, yeah, look, they're they're really friendly, they're really welcoming, most of them. And it it must be a great economic boom to some of those towns as well. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, what, one of the uh, sort of goals of Open Road is to try and help support tourism to uh, regional areas because um, oftentimes it's it's the aside from agriculture or, or farming, it's really the only thing that keeps the smaller towns afloat. Mm. Um, and you know, baby boomers have always, uh, you know, and the, the grey nomads have always been massive contributors to that. Um, because it's, you know, yeah, they're the ones that are bringing money into these towns. They go to the cafes, they, you know, they, they might stay somewhere. They're going to the local club, they're going to the local pub and, and having dinner or lunch. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's often, you know, their primary source of income. And supermarkets would do very well, wouldn't they? Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, when grey nomads come to town, yeah, stocking up at the at the local IGA or whatever it is that's yeah. uh, in town. Yep, um, so taking on supplies. I suppose once we get our van, our uh, our vehicle, you know, we we'll need to probably phone you and ask you certain things, um, like where do we get the signage done for Baby Boomers Guide <laughs> on the side of our van. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we're dreaming now, aren't uh, we? 
Oh, I dream on, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the old days of touring, Patricia, when oh, you know you'd get I a just, set of phone oh. numbers of who uh, you could phone when you went to certain towns. Yeah. Oh, they were the wow. days. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, we, we still get a lot of requests for uh, paper maps. People, even in the age of uh, Google Maps, people still love to have a, a nice big paper map so they can see where they're, where they're going and get a, a good overview of the area. I'm one of them. Yeah. I still like my Gregory's. <laughs> How old am I? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 God, really? Gregory's? <laughs> that rings only, a, only occasionally. My 90-year-old mother, you know, this is years ago, she... You know, she was worried that I was going to run away with the grey nomads. She was very concerned about that, mm. that, they would, that they would come to town and, you know, I'd jump on one of their bikes and go off with them. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't, but I, could, I was tempted. But he can do it now if, if, if the offer's there, I tell you. Well, now that we're getting our own van... <laughs> uh, that's going to be fantastic. Hey, what, are, what are we going to do, Patricia? Are we going to, is it like going to be a combi van with a mattress in the back? No, no, I think we need the big, you know, the, the, the big Bragons one and head straight up to Cape mm. York. We'll do, uh, we'll present Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century on the way at various places. We'll no doubt be eating with people and invited to their vans and we can invite them to us. Hey, it's going to be great. Oh, so it sounds wonderful. No, thank you so much, Chris. It's uh, food for well, thought. Uh, before we wrap up, is, is it, Chris, is there, is there anything you, else you want to add to, um, to the Grey Nomad phenomenon? Anything else we should know about it? Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing them all back out on the road post-COVID. You know, they they really are the lifeblood of of road trips and of tourism in Australia. I think they might have started. <laughs> There's lots and lots of them back on the road. Yeah. I'm pleased to say. Absolutely, yeah. Chris, is is it a similar ph- phenomenon? Do you know elsewhere in the world, or is it? Is it a particularly Australian thing, given our our topography? And- there's, there's definitely a similar culture, I think, in the US. Uh, they love their motorhomes over there mm. and, their, and their sort of road trips. Um, it, it's been interesting in Australia. They're, they're, it seems to come in waves. Um, I know sort of in the 1950s and 60s with more powerful cars, there was a big spike in, in caravan tourism, and then it seemed to die out sort of around in the 1980s. Uh, a little bit, and then uh, we've seen another big jump sort of in, in the 21st century. It's, it's all become uh, popular again. Mm. So, uh, and seems, and it's, it, it's probably at its peak at the moment. I don't think there's ever been quite as many people uh, taking a caravan and hitting the road. Well, you've enthused us, and no, no doubt you've enthused many of our listeners who haven't uh, had a go at being a, a, a grey nomad, and we thank you very, very much, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Chris Ashton, acting editor of NRMA's Open Road magazine. And if you aspire to be a grey nomad, you should check in with the NRMA and check out the Open Road magazine before you embark on your trip. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much. Hooray. Good on you, Chris. Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks a lot. See ya. And now it's time to have a cuppa in Jeff's Cafe where people of different ages talk about the theme and interview of the day. And we've just been listening to that interview uh, with uh, Chris Ashton from the NRMA about grey nomads. And here in Jeff's Cafe, we're going to have a chat about that. And joining us today uh, is David from Bundina. David is aged somewhere between 40 and 61. Eloise from Wagga, who is aged somewhere between 18 and 39. 
and Lucille, our good friend from Summerhill, who is aged somewhere between 62 and 100,000. Now, <laughs> not only is this an intergenerational conversation in the age sense, but Lucille, I think you have a granddaughter in the room today. I do, yes. My, she's actually my gra- youngest grandchild. And favourite. She's the baby <laughs> and the only one in this country. So she's got to be the favourite at this stage, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've been talking about grey nomads in that interview, but look, you don't need to be grey to feel the urge to do a bit of nomading. Um, it's just, it seems to me that by the time you're grey, you might have the time and perhaps the resources to do it. What, what do you think, Eloise? Oh, I definitely agree. I, I've been very fortunate. My family is pretty well off in, as my father is from England, so I've had a lot of travelling in my time, mostly on their dime, I will admit. Um, but I've had, I absolutely adore travelling, especially Europe, those kind of areas. There's so much culture over there, so many different people to meet, so many different languages. It's so much fun to do it. And now that I'm entering the workforce myself, I'm finished my schooling pretty much. I'm starting to having to settle down, actually, you know, look after a job, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm starting to look at how difficult it will be for me to travel from here on out. So it's very interesting in that sense that, yeah, I agree that people who are a bit older and who are not as strong in the workforce anymore, they have the opportunity to actually say, oh, I want to take this break. I want to go here and this place and this place. And they have the um, capital to do it as well. So I'm very jealous of that myself. There's a solution for that, Eloise. Uh, I spent my life, not my life traveling, but I've been lucky enough to be had an occupation that has sent me around the world. So I feel as though I've visited a lot of places, but I've visited them from the inside, as it were, as somebody who is working in those places, which is a completely different experience than traveling to them as a tourist because you, you're instantly part of whatever is going on there. And I think that is a very addictive perspective. So that piece on Grey Nomads raised a few issues for me. One of them is you know, the nature of traveling just for the sake of travel versus being embedded in a situation and living the situation. And it's, uh, for me, I, uh, yeah, there's, there's a tension there. You know, there's a, the tourist thing is always about being on the outside. You know, you're a tourist. People know you're a tourist and you're treated as a tourist. And to some extent, the whole tension in traveling anywhere is trying to break out of that. I definitely understand that. Like I said, my dad's from England. So when I did do a lot of my travels in Europe, I was very fortunate to stay with family rather than in hotels and like hostels and places like that. So it's very nice to be able to live as just a part of a community in that kind of sense, rather than as someone who's there completely isolated from the actual community as, as you would be in a hotel or something like that, where you don't, live with someone it's it's very nice to be able to actually like have a conversation with people who live in the area who have always lived in the area to find out what's interesting to do there what you know how to involve yourself in the community it's it, i went to in wales my aunt i went to a knitting meeting where she, she had in one of the local pubs with a bunch of her friends where they taught me how to make um 
knitted poppies. So that was a very good experience for me. I think, Eloise, you've had the advantage too. Um, of, you've done most of your travelling alone and um, you've, you've, you've headed from one, one family to the next and lived yeah. with the family. So, and you've also had that experience of being able to stay. I think the, the grey nomad thing for me, um, my husband would have loved to have done that, but, you know, I was always a little frightened of that, um, that sort of unknown part of my travelling. I like to make sure, bit of a family joke, that I like to have make sure I've got iron sheets. You know, I like to be able to, that's part of the nurse in me as well. I want to make, I be absolutely certain that they're brand new sheets that nobody could have ever slept in them that you can see that <laughs> well, it is meant to so, be your caravan <laughs> <laughs> so the caravan yes yeah, so the caravan thing um obviously the other thing that i'm used about with the grey nomad talk was that you really need to have someone to travel with if you're going to be sort of certainly in australia heading around in the outback you you can't it's not sort of sort of I wouldn't think it's something that I certainly would do alone. I would go if I had somebody to go with, but at this stage in my life now I don't have that mate. But it's it's something that so many people seem to get so much enjoyment out of going on those tripping around the country in a caravan and, and months at a time. Well I found that I must admit I found that piece put the it, it put me off the idea of grain nomading completely and utterly. I found it, yeah, this idea of the bowling club en masse traveling around the country, setting up shop, <laughs> invading small towns, you know, sharing them with dollars from Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, I just thought, oh, that's not for me. You know, the idea, what was completely missing in that piece for me was the idea of spiritual growth, traveling because it adds something to you and it yeah. shows you something new about yourself. And the idea of traveling with your crew, uh, and setting up and opening up like a can, you know, like you did last night, uh, and, and keeping on doing the same old thing. It didn't seem to ring. Um, it, it doesn't connect with me, that idea. No. I did think it was like a little old-fashioned in the sense that it only talked about travelling around the inner cities of Australia, which, again, is sounds really fun. In fact, when I thought of it, when I, when I listened to it, all I could think was, Jesus, my mother is going to become a grey nomad, 100%. It's going to happen. Well, I, I just don't want, I wouldn't want to be seen to be one. I mean, I like, I like the idea of traveling, but the idea of being identified as a grey nomad, you know, his beard is already, you know, obviously a bit of a flag, but because I'm traveling and because I'm moving around Australia, I kind of would, I feel that I would be pigeonholed as a grey nomad. And the way that uh, I felt that the interview went, the discussion went, it was almost as if all three people talking about this were on the outside looking in. It was like they were talking about some lesser spotted species. And every now and again, there'd be a bit of a joke at their expense. It, it, I didn't get a sense that, that there was a, a lot of sympathy there. But do you know what I really did, what I thought about and which puts would put me off is that you think about these people going off in their caravans and they go for weeks and months. A lot of them go for months. I mean, some of the people from the southern states go to Queensland in the winter and stay for three, four, five months. As I live alone, so I'm very engaged in my community, um, I don't think I could cope with being disengaged from my what is my community for any length of time. I can go away for two or three weeks, but 
being disengaged was something I thought I couldn't do it for that very reason because if I went away for six months, I'd be sort of not know where everyone's up to and, you know. I think the point of the Grey Nomad Caravan group is that you wouldn't be disengaged. Yeah. It's me trying to uh, connect the two, but you wouldn't be disengaged from your community because your community would be the group that's travelling with you. Well, that's true, but I'm talking about my community here. They should should really be called the Grey Migrants then, really. It's sort of yeah, yeah. Migra- up and down, you know, with the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a flock of birds. <laughs> like I said, it talks a lot about nomading in Australia, it doesn't talk about the grey nomads or, like, not even calling them grey nomads, but the the older people who travel overseas. Like, I again, my parents, like, we've spent years and years and years travelling overseas. Um, The last big trip we went on was to Switzerland and Portugal, and we got to see all kinds of amazing things, and it's rather than going into small towns and insinuating yourself in an area that's quite insulated, very closed society, it was very much more looking at what everyone thinks their spiritual kind of travelling guides are because, like, we love to go to churches, we love to go to monuments, we love to see any natural formations, and we like to go to pubs, we like to go to, like, wineries, we like to try everything out. So it's very much a very niche thing to do the grey nomads just trucking around Australia when there's so much of the world world to be explored. Yeah, and implicit in that whole grey nomad thing is that you have to be a certain age because what you've just described is is an intergenerational journey uh, where where generation doesn't matter at all. But the moment you say these are grey nomads, you're basically ghettoising an age, which is, uh, I think, a negative thing. Well, this grey-haired woman... She really loves to travel with her grandchildren. Eloise and I went to Japan a couple of years ago. But I tell you, it's a great advantage when you're an older person and especially when you're confronted with new technology every time you go to the airport (laughs) and you can say, they say to you, don't worry, Grandma, I'll do it. Don't worry. (laughs) I still remember when we used to go on our trips to Queensland and me and my cousin, we were just like, no, Grandma, Pop, you're not doing anything. We're doing everything for you. You're not allowed to touch a single screen. We'll get the tickets. We'll Well, they started this at about 14, so, you know, um, or even a bit younger maybe. I mean, we did a trip to England some years ago. The whole family, there was a horde of us. We went went trekking. We went on a canal boat in England. We, We did all sorts of wonderful things. But as the intergeneration, we had three generations on those trips, so... It, that's that's been fantastic. Those, yeah, I think. I think there's a huge difference between doing what you've just described, going out and exploring different experiences, and getting in your caravan and towing it somewhere where there's a whole load of other people that got in their caravan and towed it to exactly <laughs> the same place. And then they get out of the caravan and say, "Well, what's next? Well, what do you think? We start a barbie and then we open some beers, and and that is going to be your life." <laughs> I do hate to say it, it did sound quite monotonous when I was listening to it. Because you're going a lot of, I, not to say anything bad about small towns, but there a lot of them that you go to in the inner inner country are very similar. They're farming backgrounds. They've got the pubs. They've got the clubs, and they've not got much tourism kind of stuff. So it's really you just going from community to community, but very similar communities. So you're not learning anything. You're not doing anything new or interesting. It's just something. It's it's very. I I don't see how it's 
different from staying in your community yeah. at home. Bring, bring back Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> if you're going to be a grey nomad, at least dress up like a woman and, and do a show. You know? Well, yes, and, and as you say that, Eloise's dad is oh. going to be starring in the Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in the Brockdale Town Hall. In a oh, I have no idea about that. <laughs> He's going to be doing that. <laughs> Well, that's, maybe the, maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I want to thank you all for sitting around the campfire, watching the sun go down, drinking tea from our enam- enamel cups, or maybe it's beer. And in <laughs> Jeff's Cafe, thanks very much for joining us uh, today to talk about Grey Nomads, Lucille from Summer Hill, David from Bundina, and Eloise from Wagga. Bye-bye for now. Bye. And now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. John Paul Young is our very special guest on Nostalgia Town today, and what a treat. Uh, He's one of the most iconic artists in Australian music history, with over 4 million worldwide album sales and numerous awards, too many to count, which garnered him an induction into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2009. From John's first release with Pasadena in 1972, he then went on to become the unofficial co-presenter alongside Molly Meldrum on ABC TV's Countdown. And to the present day, he has been a constant presence on the live music scene in everything, really. Theatre, with roles in the original Jesus Christ Superstar, Shout, The Johnny O'Keefe Story, Leader of the Pack, The Ellie Greenwich Story and most recently Grease the Musical and is still the reigning king of pop since he was the last (laughs) to receive the crown in 1978. Not just because of that but because he (laughs) is the king of pop no matter what anyone says. Uh, Hi there. That's my favourite line, Pat. (laughs) How are you, John? And do you know Lex Marinos? Yes, I do. Since you're the reigning, it begs the question, have you considered abdicating? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, never. You know, uh, I, I came up with that little, um, the uh, the reigning king of pop, but in answer to Daryl Braithwaite, who uh, who got the award three times, and and he's no slouch in letting me know that. You see, mm. but uh, my answer to that was, yeah, maybe, but I'm still. <laughs> You still am. <laughs> now, I look, I'm just looking down my list of questions here and I've got where did you grow up, but I, I think that's wrong. I think it's meant to be did you ever grow up? No. 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 <laughs> oh, that's all I, I think that's, I think that's uh, pretty well the case with anybody in show business. I think that's what what keeps us keeps us going is that we never really do grow up. What about how wonderfully mature Patricia and I are? Mm, I mean, yeah. really. Never. But I think that is the secret, as John said. You know, if you can just ignore the numbers as they keep coming around. I've got a one oh, coming God. around in a couple of weeks. And keep your health as well as you can. You yep. know, ageism. What's that? The pathetic thing is I've got grandchildren old, older than me. Hey, John, where did you grow up? Well, uh, it started in in Glasgow. In uh, I was born in 1950. And uh, you know, I, this is part of what I'm. I'm supposed to be doing my 50 years in the biz tour, <laughs> and um, you know, it's been it's been held up and held up and held up, and hopefully, we'll start on uh, of all days, April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. in Katoomba, 
that's going to be part of the show because I'm going to tell everybody about what it was like uh, right. in the early days, very quickly in the early days of Glasgow. Um, uh, my memories of Glasgow are all grey. I, mm. just because that's the way it was, you know, it was yes. uh, Billy Connolly's son when he took him to Glasgow for a visit, his son said, Daddy, why is the sky so low? Ah. Because it's always cloudy. <laughs> you never see the sun, you know. It's, uh, yeah, she's a very grey sort of a town. But but it has I'm, changed. I've been back since. And was that where you first met Jimmy Barnes in Glasgow? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I think I met more Scottish people in Australia than I did back in the yeah, back. Then. Yeah. But it, I, I mean, I've got Scot- Scottish heritage that yes, I'm so proud I. of, and um, I think the beauty of going to Scotland is forget the weather; it's the people. The people, it, absolutely. Are just- we had a fairly austere sort of uh, upbringing, you know. We weren't uh, we weren't poor by any means, but but there was an awful lot of love. You know, we, you know, and that old saying, it, it takes a, a village to raise a child was was really true there, except it wasn't exactly a village. It was one huge building, you know, <laughs> with all of these apartments and uh, and the kids just used to go crazy, you know, yeah, we play soccer in the streets and, you know. But did you have the usual growing up things like, you know, the songs, the rock and roll, the usual movies we all watched? Did you- yeah. What crimes did you commit that led to your family being deported to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just mention that my early memories do include um, Bill Haley because uh, I remember I remember seeing Bill Haley back then and saying, "Geez, he's old," <laughs> and that was nineteen fifty six. And uh, and I also remember going to going to see Elvis Presley in Jailhouse Rock, mm. and so that's nineteen fifty seven. So I'm remembering, you know, quite. And the story of emigration to here is that Dad wanted us all to go to um, Canada back in the early 50s, but uh, my mother quite correctly said, no way, it's too cold. He, But he didn't give up. He kept on, he kept on, kept on. And uh, I think way in the background, we, we know, I didn't certainly didn't know of his plans, but he was beavering away in the background uh, working towards getting us out of uh, Scotland and uh, over to Australia because he just figured it was a better life for us all. And I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he <laughs> he changed your mum's mind and you got yeah. to be an Aussie, well, a Scots Aussie. With all those, <laughs> what about all those TV shows now about Scotland? Yeah. They're everywhere, aren't they? I never saw the place, you know, to my old man's credit. You know, he... Um, he grabbed me and my brother and, and he took us uh, to a, a place called Loch Arran, not far from Glasgow, uh, just me and my brother and the three of us. And we got on a, a train and then we got on a bus and then we had to walk a fair way. You know, we had back backpacks and things like that and we had to go, you know, this was our, us going camping. And uh, luckily for us, a car stopped and gave us a lift and... Um, and my dad said to the guy when he dropped us off, why did you stop? He said, the little fella at the back had his thumb out. Where's <laughs> my brother? <laughs> and we didn't see him doing it. <laughs> That's a good story. John, long way to the top seems like forever away, but mm. I think it might be time for another 10-year anniversary. What do you reckon? Oh, well, you never know. I mean, I, I have uh, I have wonderful memories of uh 
of, of you and Judy Stone and uh, Donald oh, yeah. Lee and, uh, and a few others in, in, in the witch's coven, as we used that's to call it. Right. That's right. And, uh, and you were in there knitting. That's now, right. I used I to tell knit. them what you were knitting. I can't tell you what I was knitting. That's a I secret. can. No, you won't. I won't. Okay. <laughs> oh, what, what happens on the road stays on the road. <laughs> I used to sit at the front of the bus and Thorpey, Billy Thorpe, used to on a regular basis, ah, there she is, Madame Fassage knitting what she did. <laughs> and it was kind of one of the two jokes. But I loved the fact that um, all those years later we were placed together. Uh, who knows how it might have been, but it was great. Did you... I loved the the mutual respect that um, occurred. You know, we weren't babies anymore. We were grown up. We any jealousies or uh, envy that might have taken place years earlier had disappeared, and we were all just comrades doing a show together. And that's oh, how I felt. Yeah, magic. It really was so special. It really yeah. was. I mean, you know, to be. To, just to be in the the company of uh, mm. of all those people, you know, stretching back from the fifties, you know, it was uh, it was something so special, you know, and that's when you realise that, you know, whatever whatever you thought you were doing, well, <laughs> me anyway, back in the seventies, you you didn't think about your position, you know, on the on the ladder, if you like. You know, you you just went out and did your stuff, and you love doing it. Yeah, when you get included in something like that, and you and you realise that, oh my goodness, you know, people, you know, used to say, oh, you're part of Australian music history, and I I sort of let it go past, you know, but it's so true. It's true. Also, I'm I wanted to ask John, have you ever been to Pasadena? No, I haven't. Apparently, it's a long, <laughs> long way. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, dear. Oh, I've loved yeah. being in the air. <laughs> oh, by the way, I I teach music at a school called St Joseph's College in Sydney, and at the moment, as of Monday night, Tuesday night, tonight, uh, uh, finishes tomorrow night, they're doing a grand version of Strictly Ballroom and of course so I'm hearing lovers in the air so many times and I had a thrill name dropping and saying oh, I know who sang that oh, I know who sang that <laughs> I said do you and had it all been you know no COVID around and safe to travel and no you know torrential rain I was going to ask her if you wanted to come in to Sydney and see it but it'll be on again but uh, they're just so wrapped in in doing this music, and that's their favourite part of the show, of course, is singing uh, "Lovers in the Air." So I mean, uh, I'm so privileged, so yeah. privileged to to have uh, received a song like that that just hangs on and hangs on and hangs on. It's just just wonderful. We're pleased you've got one that. Ha- Lex, Lex, and I were talking. Yeah, on that subject, and, and seriously for a moment, John, when you first heard the song, because I. I I'm always curious, and I always ask this of musicians, and and I get conflicting answers. But when you first heard the song, did you know it was a, a great song, or was it just another song? Well, it's a. Uh, it was an interesting. Uh, what what happened was that you know we were all in the studio, and and we're just doing the job, and privately inside, you have the balls, for want of a better word, to think, oh, this might be a hit. I, you know, I really think this is this could do the business. Um, and then I was summoned up to Ted Albert's office, 
the boss of Albert's music. And uh, and he sat me down and he played through his uh, magnificent system in his office, in his uh, walnut-panelled office, and, uh, and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, Ted, I think it's a hit. And he said, you should never say that. <laughs> he said, this is too strange a business. <laughs> and, uh, and yet, of course, it was a hit, but we could never have guessed how big a hit and, uh, and what legs that it had, you know, for it to keep coming back. You know, it's been in the British charts three times. Wow. Which is wow. just astonishing for somebody who comes from Britain. Well done, John. And just to tease that out a bit more, um, once again, from a non-muso, Vander and Young, what's it, what was it like to work with them? Was it a collaborative process or did they come in with the song and a very clear idea of how they wanted it to go? Did you... Did you get much input? Um, only kind of by accident, you know, like, it, it, you know, because w- when you're recording, I, I suppose in any creative process, you, you'll you make a mistake or you'll do something different, not intentionally necessarily, but something will happen. And sometimes it's a lot better than what the producer had in mind mm-hmm. or you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the little bit of, oh, 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 in love is in the air. That was me. That was my invention because George, I, I was so clearly, George, he hit the button, I'm in the booth, and he said, I haven't written anything for that bit yet. He said, and I really don't know what to put in there. He said, sing something. And I just basically dum-de-dummed, you know, with an O-O-O sort of thing. And uh, and they loved it and that's that's it. It's on the record, you know. But as far as oh, them coming to me and saying, oh, can you help me with lyrics or anything like that, no, that, that never happened. Um, but it was, um, you know, th- they were just such lovely human beings, you know, just nice men, you know, just great guys. And uh, there was no airs or graces about George Young and Harry Vander because they were two immigrant kids, you know, just like I was. And 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 they'd all spent their time on the migrant hostel the same as I had. So we had a lot in common. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it was they, was, they were great mentors and just a delight to work for. Mm. So, so they didn't offer you a writing credit for the, oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> maybe maybe my uh, great, 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 great grandchildren will probably want to sue them. Who knows? <laughs> John, you're fantastic, wonderful, still going strong, oh, king of the pop career. <laughs> I just have to get really serious now, if you wouldn't mind. No, that's fine. How's the fishing going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they biting? What's on? What's on? Well, I haven't been fishing for ages. You know, oh. I've, I I did, you know, for all these years, you know, I've had a, I've had a, a runabout and then uh, and then I uh, probably about five or six years ago, I, I was looking at some money I had in the bank, you know, and I thought to myself, I might buy a boat. Because I've I've had the pleasure of using other people's boats for an awful long time, and I thought, well, it's my turn, and I know it's a stupid thing to do, but I'm going to do it, and and I did it, and I have a friend over in uh, over in Cape Town uh, who was a big fisherman, and I explained to him that I just bought a boat, and he said, you must buy two bottles of champagne, one now, 
And one when you sell the bloody thing. <laughs> and uh, and I, I sold it about a month ago. <laughs> yeah. And, but did you and it really is so it? true that the two happiest days in a boat owner's life is the day he buys it and the day he sells it. But did you get lots of enjoyment out of it? Yeah, I did. I did. But the problem was, um, you know, when you buy a boat that's a bit larger, uh, it's not a one-man job. No. So you have to rely on other people. And, uh, of course, as soon as I bought the boat, I got incredibly busy <laughs> and I had no time to spend at the boat. And in the end, it just became a stupid idea. And oh, I thought, oh, look, yeah. I'd rather sell this to somebody that's going to enjoy it more than I can. Mm, that's right. And it's throwing money at it all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a sinkhole, basically. It is, it is. It's a hole in the water you throw money into. Did COVID put a stop to the variety bashes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, please it, tell it, the um, listeners about the variety bash that you've been so much a part of for so many years. Yeah, I've been doing it for you know, over 20 years now and it, it's um, it's just the most marvellous thing. Um, to, to be brutally honest, I didn't know much about the charity I'm, you know, being a kid from the western suburbs of Sydney, I, it was, um, it was the allure of uh, petrol that mm. got me involved in the in in the bash. You know, all those old cars, you know, which mm. is all we could afford back in the day was was an old car, and so it just meant so much to me, so much nostalgia to go back and play with old cars, and of course. When you get out there and you realise the amazing job that Variety does and it, and it really does catch those people that aren't covered by government grants or whatever and, uh, and you know, just to see the, the looks on mothers' faces when you supply their child with a mobility device or, you know, a computer all those things, you know, and just watching all those towns out there that um, that turn on such wonderful kindness when we come to town and and, and feeders and everything else, and it's just a it's just a wonderful organisation. Do you think it will restart? Who knows? I, I think it will. You know, there is one plan for this year. Um, but of course, all this water is going to change everything. Uh, you know, I. I I can't see that um, a lot of the roads will be impassable, you know. So it's, um, you know, because that's what we do. We we don't really drive on the tar. We we uh, we drive through fire trails, and you know, if there's a long way to get there, that's the way we go. Well, congratulations for doing that for so many years. And I did offer several years ago, and by now, I want you to know that I can double clutch just as well as you can. Oh, so really? if you're looking for a female co-driver. <laughs> well, you've got an automatic. You're in luck. <laughs> John, before we go, I, I'd, I'd like to ask a, a little bit more about your career. Mm-hmm. The How have you maintained your longevity in the career? Because it's, it's such a precarious business. And you, 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 well. you seem to have remained constant. And more importantly, you seem to get a lot of joy out of what you do. Yeah. Um, look, it's it's a it's a it's a long and involved story. But um, you know, back in back in the late seventies, I, I had my chance to be a big star in America, and 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 I knocked it back. 
because I could see that I was going to be part of a big machine. I'd lose any independent thought that I might have had. I would have been uh, a product of, uh, you know, as, as they said to me, we, we want to turn you into the next David Cassidy. And as I sat there looking at him, like, in my brain, I'm going, that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and because, uh, because I, you know, they could see that I didn't want to play the game. And so I just came back to Australia. I knew that I would lose everything. I knew I would gain a lot, but I would lose my family, my home life, my adopted country. I knew that it would all basically disappear and and that I would be, uh, you know, one of those poor buggers that have got a lot of money and not much else. And it just did not attract me one bit, you know. So ever since then I came back to Australia and 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 if uh, if there was no music to be made recording-wise, then I figured, okay, well, I'll just go out and work live, you know, and, and if that wasn't there, then I'd just hang about and hope that somebody had the bright idea of hiring me for something else. And luckily it happened, you know, and I was involved in radio in Newcastle for uh, four years and, uh, and then I started doing a little bit of theatre here and there. And so I've never closed my uh, eyes off to anything to do with uh, the entertainment business. If somebody says, you know, do you want to have a crack at this? I even had a crack at Dancing with the Stars. I was just abysmal. <laughs> but you gave it a go. Yeah, Todd McKenney said I looked like the drunken uncle at the wedding. <laughs> no, I think he was spot on. Mm. <laughs> John, we've loved watching your career and I had the good fortune of seeing you every night from the wings watching you and you were always my favourite part of the show. Um, not sorry to say that. I, I just loved it. And I think Lex's question, uh, the longevity, I think that watching you every night was you showed ingredients, your ingredients came to the fore because you seem to love what you're doing. Each performance was fresh. Um, it's a bit of a crude way to say it, say it but... People know that you're not up yourself at all. You are gorgeous <laughs> no, and normal. I did an apprenticeship. That sort of takes the up yourself. Yeah. Out. So we love you for that. We do. And we know you love your family, your work. What about social friends? Have you sort of maintained good friends over the years? Because sometimes it's hard to do in our business. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, there's two people in particular, you know, who uh, who who. The three of us have remained very close, and that's um, Michael Caton, mm. uh, because I met him uh, during Superstar. Yeah, and the other one is Joe Joe Dicker, who uh, who was the original King Herod in Superstar, uh, and uh, we just got along so well, and to this very day, we talk, yeah. we get involved all the time. I just got off the phone to Joe myself because he's in Richmond. I was just wondering how he was going with the water. Mm. <laughs> Well, uh, now I've got uh, I've got something I want to ask. Another another serious one. You, John, you, you talked about early days of rock and roll and the impression on you as a you know six, seven, eight year old kid. But subsequently, through your career, who are the artists that have influenced you? The um, I I got to say when when I came to Australia, 
um, it was so foreign to me, you know, the Australian music scene. It was, you know, because I hadn't heard of anybody here at all. And so I didn't know anybody. Um, and the only thing that really sparked me when it hit was, of course, the Beatles, mm. which was late 1963, you know, when I arrived here in 1962. And so that was uh, that was it. My whole world was the Beatles. Uh, I really didn't care too much about the Rolling Stones or anybody else that much. It was all the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles. And then the Easy Beats came along. And then that really, that was it for me. I, I just thought the Easy Beats were the greatest thing ever, you know, and to think that they were a bunch of immigrant kids like I was, it was just such a wonderful thing to look up to and, uh, and, and you know, just, just the way they they were just so smart. They were just so clever. They were just so on. They were, they were the wonderful performers, you know. And uh, and, and I just got to say a little bit about the the Australian media back then. You know, I, um, George Young was notorious because he would never do interviews, and it all stems back from when they went over to England and uh, a journalist asked them, you know, where would you prefer to be? Australia or here, you know, and George gave them a, a straight up answer saying, well, you know, we have to be here because this is where this is where it's all happening. It came back to Australia as easy beat snub <laughs> Australia, you know, and George was horrified that that happened, you know, and he said, we've got an Australian flag on the drum kit for Christ's sake, mm. you know, and, and ever since then he just, he turned his back on the media you know, and, and never really <laughs> involved himself with them again, you know. So it's just funny little quirky things that can happen in your life, you know. It's uh, But th- they were it for me, you know. The Easy Beats were, you know, they just started a whole train of things and, and all of a sudden, you know, before I knew it, my mates were telling me they wanted to form a band. I didn't want to know because I, you know, it was the last thing on my mind was ever getting on a stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was I'm just a guy that loved to sing mm-hmm. because I come from a family that sang and we all just sang. Uh, there was no instrument. Everybody just sang. And you'd sit around a room and Dad would point to you and it was your turn. Wow. And if you couldn't sing, then you could say a poem you could say do you you had to do something that was your party trick mm-hmm. um you know and so you know me and my brother would be trying to harmonize in in, in the back bedroom you know and uh either mum or dad would walk past and hear it and if it wasn't any good they'd say that's rubbish <laughs> and keep walking <laughs> so <laughs> that's the best way to learn exactly you know and, and you always want to please your mum and dad so that's, right. that's what we did you know uh, we'd, we'd hunker down and try and sing in tune all the time yeah oh john i hope you tell these stories on tour now speaking of the tour this is a big year for you 50 years maybe 51 years around. <laughs> um how's that terrific tour going oh it's great. I, I'm really enjoying it. It's um, it's it's kind of special to get up there and because uh, I did the Vander and Young tour a couple of years ago, um, and that opened my eyes to all sorts of other things that George and Harry did, and uh, and so I've kept elements of that into this tour. And instead of it being 50 years young, I've basically it's 72 years young because I talk about 
you know, when I entered the world back in 1950 and just the story and the uh, the story of travelling to Australia and uh, and arriving here on Australia Day 1962 wow. and, you know, and the people love it, you know, it's uh, because the wonderful thing about the showbiz thing is, and you would know this, Patty, it's you take the audience with you. They grow older as you grow older. And so that thing in common stays with you forever. You know, and, and that's that's special. It's a lovely thing, isn't it? We're watching them grow and they're watching us grow. We won't yeah. say old, but we grow up and well, try not to grow up. Yeah, speak for speak for yourself. But we can talk about the same things. We can talk about, you know, we can talk about what it was like when we were seven and eight and and they and they can all relate to it. Now, listen, I just, I just have to interject here because our producer, Jeff, is um, is so young he doesn't know who Vander and Young are. <laughs> so for his benefit, Harry Vander and George Young were part of the Easy Beats, went on to a stellar songwriting and producing career. George's younger brothers, Angus and Malcolm, formed ACDC, another Vander and Young band, and uh, Lovers in the Air, JPY, so uh, and you're not related. So John Paul Young is not related to George Young? Well, George did say to me one day, he said, are you sure we're not related? And I <laughs> said, George, I'm a Catholic. And he said, oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then uh, long after that, I found out that my, uh, my grandfather actually was a Protestant and he changed religion in order to marry my grandma. Ah. It was such where it was so strict back in those days, you know. The Catholic could only marry outside the religion if you converted them. Yeah. And uh, and that's what he did. So that has never really been established. But we only lived a half a dozen streets away from each other in Glasgow. Mm. Uh, so it's quite possible that we are related way back, yeah. John, thanks for joining us on uh, Baby Boomer's Guide. As a as an audience, let me thank you so much for the hours and hours and hours of entertainment you've given us over the years. It's been fantastic, and uh, may you have another 50 years to go in the career. Hey, thanks, John. Great to see you. Stay well, and how about catching fish one day? Yeah, that could be an idea. Thank thanks, you, guys. John. Much love. Okay. Not a problem. Yeah, much love to you all. You're looking great. Uh, you Cheers. too. See you, mate. <laughs> Bye. 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 And now it's time for Money Extra, where an expert on a particular finance topic gives us a brief life lesson on money. Hi, I'm Liam Kennedy from Choice, talking to you today about ways people can save on their cost of living on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. So here at Choice, we recently conducted a big survey of more than 1,000 households. We found that 86% of households had seen the price of their daily essentials increase. And that's the highest figure we've had from that survey in three years. We decided we would put together a list of our top saving tips from our experts here at Choice. So starting off with your regular shop at the supermarket, the first suggestion we had is to compare unit prices. So unit prices break down the cost of a product into standard units of measurement. So like per 100 grams, for example. 
And these can let you compare different products and different pack sizes much more easily. We also recommend just switching to supermarket brand or home brand products. We say this because it's obviously cheaper and also because our tests have found that these supermarket home brand lines um, have improved in quality quite a bit in recent years. We, in our latest basket survey of supermarket goods, found that you can save up to 40% by switching to these products. Another good idea is to avoid pre-cut food items. So fruit and vegetables especially, we found these can cost up to five times as much per kilo as the unprocessed originals. In the kitchen, once you get those products home, there's a bunch of ways you can save there. An easy one off the bat is just keeping food in the right place. We found that tomatoes stay flavorful for longer. Bread will go stale less quickly if you keep them out of the fridge. On the flip side, keeping eggs in the fridge generally means they'll keep better for longer. When it comes to power, energy bills seem to be getting more expensive all the time, but there's a bunch of ways you can save there too. That includes just getting more out of your everyday appliances, like washing machines and air conditioners. Really try and run a full load of washing. Keep the filters on your dryer or your air conditioner clear of debris. That means they won't have to work as hard and consume more power. And one more tip if you're out driving and need to fill up your car with petrol is to just check out if there's any fuel apps that give data on petrol stations in your area. And that's a really great tip for finding the best option when it comes to saving at the Bowser. For more, head over to choice.com.au and check out our top 30 saving tips. And now it's time for Stepping Out, where we speak with older people from around Australia, showcasing their communities and community radio stations, and telling us why you might want to visit sometime. Today we're Stepping Out with Penny Gale from Dusty FM in Cooper Pedy. It's 104.5. Cooper Pedy has been Penny's second home for more than three years. Came here with her partner, Tim. Penny and Tim travel between Cooper Pedy and Adelaide, where they also have a home, although their Adelaide home is not underground like their dugout <laughs> in Cooper Pedy. Penny is chair of the management committee for community radio station Dusty Radio, which has been on air since 1997. Penny, welcome to the show. Thanks for stepping out with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cooper Pedy, Penny, what brought you there? Well, um, over three years ago, the state government suspended the local council at the time for maladministration and, and put in my partner, Tim, to go and sort it out as the administrator of the town. And you fell in love with the place, obviously. Yeah, it is an amazing place. Look, it's 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 got its ups and its downs, um, the highs and its lows, uh, but it is an amazing place physically, if, no, if nothing mm. else. It's just amazing air in, in Kuwapiti. How many people live there? It's about 1800. We're not 100% sure. They, they don't all, we don't think they actually necessarily <laughs> fill out census on census night. Uh, and they don't all vote either. Although, um, uh, certainly not that we're aware of, but it's uh, about 1800 at its heyday. It was over 5,000. Wow. But we're talking, you know, back in the um, 70s and 80s when opal mining was was really a, a big thing but mm. most of those miners have retired uh there's some young ones coming through but it's it's not attracting the same numbers that it used to penny just just to pander to my ignorance why do you live underground in cooper Pedy? 
Because of the heat. About 50% of the population live underground. If you've never been there, you, you know, you put it on your bucket list because it is amazing. So we live underground and all year round it's the same temperature between 22 and 23 degrees. We don't have any heating. We don't have any cooling. It's a perfect way to live. When you look out your window, what do you see? Dirt. Well, there is only windows out the front. The rest, it's a cave. You know, it's a cave with many rooms in it. But it's very, you know, it's very comfortable. We have three bedrooms. We have an ensuite. Um, uh, we have a, you know, separate toilet and bathroom. And it's, it's, um, it's, mm. it's very nice. And you sleep very well because it's so dark and quiet mm. at night. Lex, I've been there and it, I know you'd love it. It is different, but it's beautiful. There's a starkness about it. And yet it's rich as well. And, trying to describe it, but being underground is quite a buzz. Well, I, I certainly like underground movies. <laughs> well, as long as you don't, you're not claustrophobic because some people can't. They, they can't sleep underground. Yeah, they yeah, find yeah. it. They do yeah. find that difficult. Penny, how did you come to be involved with the radio station? Oh, well, I'm really it's kind of full circle for me. I, I one of my The first job that I ever had that I loved was in radio. I, I worked for the ABC in South Australia in production and presentation and then in marketing in um, in Sydney for a year. I was marketing manager for Classic FM. Um, and I actually started before that in community radio in Adelaide 5UV, which is the oldest community radio station in the country. Um, I, I went there as a volunteer, did all their training and then got part-time and then full-time work, then went to the ABC for seven years and then and left to do other things in my life. So it's always been a passion for you? Oh, absolutely. I just think it's the, the best medium. It's the best communication channel. Uh, and when we went to Kubipedi, when I am there, I, I thought I needed to do something and volunteer in the community. And the radio station at that time so uh, had been run by the person who started it. And it was associated with the school and he died and it kind of fell in a bit of a hole. So a small group of us have been trying to resurrect it since that since that time. A penny. Do many people, older people, who uh, a bit adventurous, think, "Oh, I'm going to go there and retire"? And is it good for them? Do they do that? Yeah, uh, it's it. It doesn't have a lot of services if you can't be self sufficient. People, you know, there anecdotally and people I know, they've gone there in their later lives when their health hasn't been very good because of the mm. climate. And because of the lack of stress. Um, but most people, if they can, when they get, you know, past 60 odd, will leave if they can. Wow, um, the, 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 and there's, there are a, a cohort of old miners who aren't mining anymore who've come over, you know, back in the sixties from Croatia or Greece or, um, uh, Lithuania, those sort of countries who don't, really have anywhere to go. They stay there, but most people leave. Lightning Ridge is very arty, you know, lots of uh, creative people there. Is it the same in Kubipedi? I would use, the word I would use for to, to describe the people in Kubipedi is eccentric. Oh, good. <laughs> I think I think it's where you go if you're, you know, you want to escape from somewhere or you want a freedom. It, it is, it, you know, it's always been a place where, it's kind of like the last frontier. Um, mm. you know, in the eighties, people had guns in their cars. Um, but that's gone now. Mm. Um, but it, it's a place that people go to, to, for a sense of freedom. And, and Penny, the, the station itself, Dusty FM, what kind of, uh, what kind of programming do you have? 
Well, as I said, Lex, you know, we're really just building it up again. So at the moment, we really just play music. We're not streaming at the moment because we're trying to get the, our local content up. So, mm-hmm. but if you want to hear programs, we actually put them out through our website. So mm-hmm. we have a couple of local pro- programs. We import other community radio programs like this one in, into the future. We haven't done, um, the Baby Boomers Guide yet, but we've been looking at, we might put that on. So, Oh, it's a terrific show. I've, I've heard that. People do speak. Yeah. Some people I know speak very highly of it. And two very eccentric people on it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> good for Cooper <laughs> Pete because we're very earthy. Yeah, well, down to earth, that's good, yes. But we, um, we've we actually just put in, because we have very uh, broad uh, listener base, I mean, the, the biggest population is first Australians. Mm. Um, yeah. there'd be about 300 or so of those who live in the, live in Cuba PD. Um, the third is, um, Sri Lankan. Uh, and of course okay. we have a lot of people who've come, you know, we had over 50 nationalities in the heyday of mining and we have quite, quite a few Filipinos. So what we're, we're trying to do is get some yeah. language programs up where people come and broadcast in their own mm. language. Um, and also broadcast community announcements and government announcements, that kind of stuff in, in, in other languages. So we really see ourselves as, as heading down a very much a kind of multicultural path. Penny, there is a huge fascination for, for most people with somewhere like Kuba Pedi and, and you've described so much about it, but can you tell us, just describe the main street? The main street, yes, there is only one main street and you get to it, well, you come off uh, the Stuart Highway uh, and it's uh, pretty much uh, there's kind of open space on one side. The other side's got the first caravan park uh, and then you come down that road and you've got the um, council uh, buildings on one side. On the other side, you've got the oval and a children's playground and a big um, petrol station. And then the, the road kind of dips down. Uh, and on either side, you've got uh, opal shops. You've got um, one of the underground churches in town. It's, there's about five or six underground churches. Um, yeah. You've got um, Umana Museum, which is a fantastic place to go and learn about opals, to see the history uh, of Kubipedi and actually to experience going into mm. an um, underground house and, and a mine. Uh, and you've got further down, you've got a, a, the TAFE, um, uh, and then you've got um, a, a kangaroo orphanage. So uh, Terry and Josephine have run a kangaroo orphanage for some years oh. where people eat, hit a, a, um, a roo and it's got a baby in its pouch. They'll bring it mm. to them and, and they completely by voluntary, mm. they will um, nurture and bring up kangaroos. And they're also an art gallery there as well. So it's a kind of a mixture of it's it's all up. You can see a lot of above ground going down the main street. You mm. wouldn't know that there was so much underground just mm. by driving down the main street. And then on the right, as you get down sort of three quarters of the way down, you've got the IGA. It's the only supermarket in town. It's very huge. It's got a fantastic Sri Lankan uh, uh, section in it. Uh, and yeah, then you've just got opal shops and there's a couple of government buildings there as well because there's a 
government services. The, the biggest employer in town is actually government services. How many hours drive to Adelaide? It, well, it's 852 kilometres from Adelaide. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, now, I know, I know it's a destination for um, grey nomads. Do they create havoc when they come through? <laughs> no, they seem very well behaved, actually. Oh, good. Yes, I'm yes. pleased to hear that. <laughs> uh, well, um, uh, certainly a lot of backpackers come here. A lot of European backpackers find themselves in Cooperpedia and, and, and will work there. There's always work to be had in Cooperpedia. So put it on your bucket list, Lex. Oh, absolutely. It's a long time since I've been there, but I know I loved it. I, I remember loving it very much. Penny, thanks for taking the time to uh, step out. My pleasure. And have a bit of a chat with us today. And dare I say that uh, Cooperpedia is really lucky to have someone of your experience and expertise mm. to get their uh, their radio station running. Well, that's very kind of you. There's a little group of us and we're all very passionate about it. Thanks very much. Yeah, good on you. Thank you, Penny. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Patricia. Mm? Tick tock, tick tock, that old clock. It's just relentless. The show is over for today. But before we go, who have we got next week? What are we talking about? Well, we're, we're going to talk a very serious topic because it involves all of us and uh, we should be thinking and doing more, in my opinion. We're with Professor Claudia Baldwin, who's the co-director of Sustainability Research Centre, University of the Sunshine Coast, and she is going to talk with us about climate change and ageing. And our tour guide in Nostalgia Town, the legendary performer Tony Lamond. What an icon, what a darling person, and what an inspiration. And after that, we'll dig for some gold in Bendigo in Victoria with Anne Conway. Ah, What a treat. We have such a great show lined up. Baby Boomer's Guide to Life is produced on the Gadigal and Wongal lands of the Eora Nation in association with the Older Women's Network. Baby Boomer's Guide is funded by the Extra Foundation, which works to ensure that more Australians are confident making money decisions today and into the future. You can find out more by going to extra.org.au. That's E-C-S-T-R-A dot org dot A-U. And don't forget, if you've missed any episodes, catch up on your favourite podcast app and online at babyboomersguide.com.au. Plus, you can join the conversation and have your say on our Baby Boomers Guide to Life Facebook page. Your Baby Boomers Guide to Life hosts are Senior Influencers of the Year, Patricia, Little Paddy Amphlet, and me, Big Lex Marinos. Get Get connected connected and stay stay connected. connected.